Hi, this is Bob Goodman, SVP of Product Management at Virgin Pulse, and you're listening to Experiencing Data with Brian T. O'Neill. Experiencing Data explores how product managers, analytics leaders, data scientists, and executives are looking at design and user experience as a way to make their custom enterprise data products and analytics applications more useful, usable, and valuable. And now, here's your host, the founder and principal of Designing for Analytics, Brian O'Neill. Welcome back to Experiencing Data. This is Brian T. O'Neill, and today I have Bob Goodman on the line from Virgin Pulse. What's going on, Bob? Hey, Brian. Good to chat with you. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward. What the heck's Virgin Pulse? Tell us about that, and what does the SVP of product management do at such a place? Virgin Pulse is a uh, global health and well-being solution for employers as well as uh, health plans, payers, and providers. And it centers on helping people be healthier and happier in their everyday lives. Your background, uh, you've led product management as well as UX teams. So you're kind of this hybrid type person. Can you talk a little bit about that in the context of the current work that you're doing or even just the past, how it might have been affected by that? But how does design and UX come into play when you're thinking about product? For sure. I have about 20 years of experience in consumer and enterprise software, really coming from the web onward and sort of stumbling into this uh, line of work. But I think I've, uh, looking back, I've always been very interested in in products and destination experiences, especially design-wise. And today I'm, I'm really overseeing both product management and product design as a unified function. I think you're asking how do those uh, work together? I think, you know, you can, there's that Steve Jobs quote that we all know and love, uh, that design is not just what it looks like, but it's also how it works. And when you think of it that way, kind of end-to-end, you start to see a product management and product design as a very uh, unified. I've been surprised lately, even some guests on this show see those roles as not being overlapping circles at all. Yes, for sure. I tend to see them being heavily overlapping. And when I teach my seminar, a lot of the stuff some designers would say, this is more like a product management thing. Well, to me, right. it really, it's on a spectrum. It's, it's like autism or something, right? Like, where are you on the spectrum? <laughs> like, I'm a little bit more of a designy product management type person. But, you yes. know, I'm curious if data changes anything about this. So we were going to talk a little bit about Virgin Pulse Health Analytics. And there's also this APH, this Advanced Plan for Health company that you were going to talk about. And I'm kind of curious, like, in the context of data, How does design come into play? How does product come into play when we're talking about analytics, at least how you guys are rolling with it at Virgin Pulse? I'm still sort of processing your your point, which I've definitely experienced that some people see product management and design and UX as quite separate. And I think they might think that the product is saying what should happen and what's most strategic and the roadmap. And then they're sort of specifying things tightly or loosely And then design is maybe handling the UI. And it's a little different if you think of uh, design as a strategic function also that's shedding a light on a kind of user motivation or a buyer motivation. Then you might see it as more continuous. You might see design as a strategic end-to-end function. It does wind up as UI for sure. And that's part of a a two-part 
stool. And you and I were talking about, oh, there's the three-part stool if you have design, product engineering, and there's maybe a four-part stool when you have data. And this has been a fascinating discovery because I think as a hybrid person, I didn't necessarily draw those distinctions so clearly or didn't realize that people saw them as so separate. From product and design standpoint, I personally was often used to, especially in startup contexts, starting with the data that we had to work with or that we might want to go after and taking stock of the system and saying, oh, this is our object models and this is how where we have context and this is where we're kind of offering detail and this is the end-to-end workflow. And I think it's an evolution of the industry that there's been more and more specialization and more and more training and it's maybe added some barriers <laughs> that didn't used to exist between these disciplines. I guess in terms of analytics at Virgin Pulse, there are many facets. We have analytics in a classic way around our, our reporting that is a kind of client facing. We also, you know, we show a lot of data to our members as well because people are able to make sense of their daily lives and their activity and their sleep and how that's sort of tracking. We also are increasingly involved in uh, kind of health outcomes and uh, population health. And then you start to go into more of a, a big data mindset for uh, kind of personalization and like risk scoring and understanding um, how that can inform um, what's recommended to people and what's presented. There are many facets to the sort of job to be done, to use a UXE term, around analytics and data. Can you tell me a little bit about how those teams might work together? You talked about the you know risk scoring when you're doing forecasting prediction. This is the domain of data science. Do you have data scientists as a role on a product team Where's the tip of the spear? Is it being led by data? Is it being led by product? Like, how do you see that? Or is there no, is it just a triangle that doesn't have really a point, <laughs> like any one point? I've come to understand that this is a, a sort of common uh, maturity cycle. We are in a process of really uh, unifying and more centralizing our expertise and data model. And from that centrality, if you will, to also really embed into our our delivery teams while still having a a central team structure and and expertise and practices to derive from and really understanding how that can drive velocity from the standpoint of the sort of data platform that helps power our, our products and our services in a unified way. You ask a, a critical question about like, how is it organized There can be sprawl in some organizations, right, around how they're approaching data and then the different discrete data disciplines, whether that is data engineering, whether that is data architecture, whether that is data science. And each discipline can have a slightly different take and approach and expertise. And that makes sense. But then when you also have an org, you know, itself not having clarity about even the different jobs to be done by data, that organizational design can be a barrier really to what you can achieve with a more central take. And that's kind of where we're headed today. You talk about this jobs to be done thing. And I think we talked about this when we, we first met and I'm very much on the same page about with you in terms of understanding the why and, and having really good problem clarity and how, in my opinion, so many projects tend to fail because no one can really define what good means. Yes. Uh, at the beginning, the strategy is not clear. The problem set is not clear. You know, if you have a data team that thinks the job is, our job is to surface the insights from this data 
and you have maybe a designer UX person that's like, no, there are these discrete tasks and objectives that someone wants to do in which data may provide a slice of that. Like I need help making a decision about X, but I'm not here to look at the data set, really. I'm really here because I want to know, am I eating right? Am I resting enough? For sure. I don't want to look at my sleep stats. That's not the objective is to look at sleep data. It's to understand if I'm getting enough rest. And I'm I'm riffing here. For sure. But I'm I'm curious, like, how do you, do you find it's a challenge to get most of my audience that's listening here? They tend to come from the data side. Right. I want you to talk to them about, like, your wish list, like what do data scientists need to hear from somebody like you about products, especially if they want to think about making data products and not just throwing data at people? That's a great point. And it is a common starting point to say like, we have all this data. And so that is what we'll show. And we right. need the screen to show it because that's the data we have. I imagine, but the audience is filled with people with more data expertise than I have. But I imagine that (laughs) when one is fascinated by data, it might be natural to presume that everyone will share this equal fascination with the sort of sleuthing or discovery. And then it's not the case, right? It's a too long, didn't read TLDR world. And so basically, like, they just want to have, often they want the headline or they even need the kind of headline news to start like at a glance. And so this is where this idea of storytelling and, you know, telling stories with with data comes in and some of the research to understand the mindset that consumers come to the table with. And this can be, this is business users as well, right? They don't necessarily want to replicate all of the work of data analysis. They'd like as much of that as possible to come in with the rendering and with the screen and that for that to be ready to inform the decisions that their organization makes or to share out because they too are often like a wash in data already from multiple sources. And then when you talk about like in our space, a space that's so incredibly complicated as population health and well-being and conditions and healthcare, there's just a, a tremendous need to make sense of things in an actionable way in a data-driven way, but data-driven means um, the meaning of it and to try and uh, take that lens. And this jobs to be done or JTBD, which is from Clay Christensen, right? Like it's the great story in a nutshell. They found that, I think it was McDonald's, that uh, you had consumers not buying, especially the drive-through, they found that for some reason, um, milkshakes were a top breakfast seller, not the prescribed you know, breakfast meal or breakfast happy meal. No, the milkshake. Why? Because people need something that is holdable in one hand, that fits in their cup holder, that lasts their commute, that gives them a sort of fun experience. It's a functional, (laughs) practical frame on things. And I think that's a, it's helpful. That's why this jobs to be done phrase as to like the problem we're trying to solve. It's helpful to understand the practical constraints that people are under and the context then that your experience you're offering can fit in. Are there any strategies or tactical things that you've learned that either your product managers or your design staff need to adjust to work better with data science colleagues and also the vice versa, which might be more of a wish list for you, but what are the things I would like to see change on the data science side to better work with us? Can you give me a What do we need to learn from each other perspective? There are these um, rallying cries of measure what matters, Uh right? And we're talking about a context at scale and um, kind of 
durability and there's some durability of the context when we're talking about, and there's also challenges of data availability. And then on the product management side, I'll say a kindred or corresponding, you know, challenge sometimes can be what's viable from like an MVP standpoint, like what's really compelling as a market offering versus already spoken for. And there's what's viable. And then really there's what's feasible. So feasible is like, what do you actually have capacity for within the time frame, resources, these kinds of things. And it's helpful when one can to separate those and not have them be so intertwined together because you don't want to decide to do something that's not viable just because it's feasible. <laughs> and you don't want to prematurely narrow in that direction. And I think this premature narrowing can happen. Like, well, we have this data, so it's the best we have. And then, yes, we do have that data, but it's not any data that someone could act on. Possibly a company can't act on it because they don't know what the implications are, or possibly a person can't act on it because they don't know what the sub-factors are in terms of their behavior, their sleep, their stress, their eating, their condition management, um, all of these factors. I think that sometimes things could be, I'll say, data right, like the data is sound, but not like a kind of user right, (laughs) using users uh, broadly, and vice versa, you know, feasibly, you might aspire to do X and Y and Z for users, but and have this, you know, glorious, you might want this glorious eye candy of data visualization, that's this wheel, but there isn't really a a logical basis to deliver that. (laughs) And I think as to advice useful, actionable advice. There are a couple different ways to come at this. One is to try and fast forward to an end state, to sort of beam into the future and say, this is the story that we'd ideally like to tell if we have the, presume that we would have the data to do so a way to do it. And here's why. And to get some learning about that, like if you looked at this, would it be meaningful to you at a glance? And then also see what you do have to work with <laughs> and can you meaningfully like, you know, step towards that vision in a way that still has viability, but you're still kind of moving in time. You're not idling. And that's a lot of product management versus a more, you know, more clinical and uh, longitudinal kind of studies and things is, is a lot about like continuing to make headway in time. And that's a lot about the agile mindset and software development life cycles and these sorts of things. Yeah, you were talking about this, like, it's not user right, but it's data right. I call this technically right, effectively wrong. And this is not an infrequent thing that I hear about where the the analysis might be sound or the visualization might technically be the right thing for a certain type of audience. But the difference there is, are we designing for decision making or are we designing to display the data that does tell some story, but it may not enable the decision-making that we're trying to do, which so much of analytics is often about making the next best decision based on previous information or possibly predictions. So I wonder if you could tell me a little bit about like that dance between maybe in the context of this, the Virgin Pulse health analytics, did you have this like kind of battle between like, but can I make a decision? And well, that's the data we have. And it's like a tennis match, like, and maybe it's not a match. It that sounds like we're against each other, but is there a back and forth that has to happen here to kind of slow down the data presentation part to let the user catch up, like kind of keep the user in check. Like that's kind of been my experience sometimes, but tell me about yours. How did you approach the design of that solution? Currently uh, right now, as we try and, you know, as we're working to have a 
a really unified approach and a data strategy and deliver on that in the best possible way for our clients and users. For the most productized part of our d- data delivery, we're really optimizing on the meaningful uh, part of it, as you said. There are many solutions for kind of a custom reports and drill downs and data extracts, and we have all manner of, of data tooling. But in the part that we're really like productizing and uh, having an experience layer on top, we're definitely uh, optimizing on the meaningful part versus the display side and the best meaning that we can deliver at this time and, and build from there, if that makes sense. And that's maybe a, a little bit of a, a less is more if it has meaning. Can you tell me, like, give me an idea of kind of how that process worked? Like if I load the dashboard or whatever, the home screen of VP yeah. Health Analytics, how did they arrive there? And what were the roles of like the data science people versus the designers or the product? Like, tell me a little bit about who decided what went there and what kind of chart it was and what decisions is it trying to drive towards and how did the teams play together to get to that? Like anything you could share there would be great. Yeah, for sure. Well, without overcomplicating like the VP portfolio, Advanced Plan for Health that you mentioned is a fantastic standalone population health and like data product. And that's something that that's a new acquisition for us. And that allows us to really um, intake populations for risk scoring and opportunity and what we'll call like the uh, an opportunity index of which parts of the population and which conditions are most susceptible to impact intervention treatment. But because, you know, we are Virgin Pulse had many acquisitions now that they're part of the family, we're really taking stock of how the parts of our offering fit best together. Similarly, we have our longstanding kind of bread and butter well-being and health platform. And for that part of it, uh, sorry to weave a bit of a yarn on our, our portfolio of offerings. For that part of it, that's the area we've really had an aligned view across uh, engineering, data, and design. I'm working in tandem to set the stage for like a unified enhanced analytics approach. So that's dashboards that that we're building and a way to lens in, I would say, other parts of our data offerings. And I think we're we're actually quite common amongst kind of enterprise scenarios where there's a a wide array of of data tooling that we have in play. It's a number of of third-party tools and and homegrown tools. But I think that ultimately, as you and I uh, as you were alluding to, people would prefer not to navigate amongst multiple tools as a consumer of data, one trying to make sense of it. So that's really the purpose of our enhanced um, analytics portal. That's a dashboard that tries to work. I'm also a former journalist, so I'll use the kind of um, the inverted pyramid. You try and tell the biggest story the first and you sort of like work your way uh, down in detail. We try and have the the headline news front and center and then like additional reports uh, down below. And so in our case, in our domain or category, when you're talking about a population's health and managing that population health and, and designing a programming and solutions accordingly, you're saying, how are we trending? What's the nature of the risks we face and how much of it is affecting and you start sort of drilling down from there. But first, you're trying to get top site or a bird's eye view. So that part, Brian, was a really design-driven approach, a bit more blank sheet of canvas to zoom out from these array of things that we could do to see what's most compelling from the perspective of people that are trying to use this to share 
or make decisions you know, about how their population is trending and what they can do to drive the most positive outcomes. And on our platform, on the part that is um, data-driven, but not analytics-specific, uh, we're also a, a gamification and rewarding system, and we do virtual challenges, and we do a habit tracking. There's a lot, a lot of things that, uh, uh, levers that we can bring to sort of solve for risk and, and engage a population. Can you talk to me about the involvement of customers in that process of working on these these data products, but also I think I read something you wrote me on LinkedIn about, you know, one of the most valuable lessons I learned from running hundreds of usability studies yes. in my career is being wrong. The joy of being wrong. Can you yeah. talk to me about <laughs> that blank slate, getting something out there and then getting in front of users? How often are you doing that? And talk to me about the joy of being wrong, because I don't feel like a lot of the, the data professionals I know, I think this is scary. I went to school, I have a PhD in math or whatever, and I'm pretty sharp and I know my stuff. And the idea of being wrong is scary. But talk to me about being wrong as a method of learning and like how fast can we rapidly learn? And it's not about being wrong. It's about the change in knowledge. It's the gaining of knowledge, right? And tell me about that in these products. So we have a very strong, um, you know, quant and, and qual research team. And it's, you know, it, it's well uh aligned to our, our product management and our design team. There are many research methods, and these apply to very data-centric products, as well as things that are just a bit more consumery in nature and more task-oriented to call out some methods. And I can try and share some personal war stories from the olden days when it's more in the trenches. <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> one is uh, basically uh, you know, creating, uh, like uh, one is doing prototypes. Those can be fully functional prototypes. They can be simulations. One is uh, showing those to, to people one by one live for kind of qual analysis and asking them to like think aloud and see uh, where they would click and express what they're perceiving, what they're thinking. And what they're perceiving is, a, in my mind, a really important thing because when I used to moderate these, I'd say like, okay, before you click there, what, what do you expect to happen next? And what do you think you're seeing and why would you click there? And one can even do this, by the way, with like paper, <laughs> paper prototypes. And you find when going through this time again that like what you thought the uh, interface was intending to communicate is not coming across to them for the variety of reasons or they're really misinterpreting it or something has kind of given them a, a false signal that you didn't intend. And it could be so many things. Sometimes it's your color choice. You might have a color choice that you think is uh, just on brand. <laughs> and right. you think that color is, is a meaningful one. If it's red or green, having functional purpose, exactly. They might, in terms of just then classic usability, like where they click. And this is also, especially sometimes in you know data visualization, it may not really be clear like what to do to activate. It's not always crystal clear like where you want to drill down and what is it and what changes the view and what changes the sort and what persists the sort and what persists the filters. And did you lose that view if there's a lot of uh, on like BI type tooling, if you can kind of interrogate the database, this cognitive walkthrough that people can give you. And of course, you can pick up these signals at scale on quant testing and A-B testing and behavioral analytics tools, which we also use, like we use mixed panel um, and this sorts of thing. So those can tell you a lot about what is going on. They can't always tell you why it's happening. And so quant and qual can really pair together very well, right? The, the uh, data kind of tells you what, and then the people shed a light on why when you're in 
pursuit of it and those together add up to a complete package in order to refactor, I think. Did you have any particular anecdotes you recall on any of the data products where like, God, the whole team thought that this was going to like just totally kick. And then we got it in front of people and everyone thought, oh, this data means this or, oh, it's telling me to go sleep more. It's like, no, 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 it's not. Any anecdotes you might share about kind of lights going on, especially for maybe the data team, maybe they were very insistent that something was right in it. Well, this story is a little bit more on the consumer side, but we have a challenge offering that we really like that it's called Spotlight Challenge and it lets people, we have a lot of classic challenges that are very uh, competitively oriented and there are leaderboards and there are teams and there's, you know, challenge boards to kind of like shout out and but we want to create uh, something that would also have an aspect that would be um, inclusive to people that might be um, less inclined to competitive, highly competitive environments. We call it a spotlight challenge. And it has a personal goal dimension where you're kind of competing against yourself, <laughs> your own goal and your own history um, in a certain like physical activity to see how you're tracking there. And then the leaderboard is a sort of novel visualization you're seeing how other people are doing against uh, themselves, <laughs> against their own goals, personal goals. Where we landed there was uh, it was a long a journey to try and get to concepts that would really um, take hold. The idea of competing like against yourself for a personal goal was like an elusive one, and we had to just be really um, explicit in the kind of callouts. In part because people are so inclined to read progress as just a very literal thing, a progress against just a straight up quant. I, I ran X many and that's my progress, not kind of medical, uh, metaphorical progress. Even for people to understand the nature of this challenge as unique and working differently than competitive challenges. Yeah, we had many, many um, stops and starts on the data to signal that it was something different. And I actually think that this is a, a common design in Jatachunch that people are primed. They, they bring to the table a certain expectation. So even though you might think your display and your approach is signaling like, oh, this is similar yet different, they'll go with the similar. And there is something the UX and, and psychology world, right, and human factors world of sometimes called like change blindness, that you don't actually detect the differences. You glide over them because you're just trying to make sense of things in a rapid fire. Um, in this case, had to um, just really accentuate what was different. We didn't want to lose the fun <laughs> of the challenge, but we really had to bring people through uh, stepwise on like, okay, well, this is a unique thing. We had to pick up a little bit of like onboarding education at the start, uh, really emphasize this new object that we were bringing to bear. Thank you for sharing that with us. I'm curious, I know the advanced plan for health, I think that's the one that does some of this uh, forecasting yeah. and risk scoring and, and all of that. I'm curious, does anything change about your approach to either your product management team works or your design team works when they're working with machine learning and AI, probabilistic solutions that are making forecasts that are not going to be, they can't read the future perfectly. Is there anything that that's, you're changing about the way you approach that, how you staff for it, that the skill sets required to work with data scientists in that on these types of things that's different? 
We have data offerings that are really for decisioning and program design upstream. And then we have data offerings that are really um, yeah, informing our AI and our personalization layer. And on that side, we have a new feature that we call VPIQ. And it's um, based in part on um, deviation uh, detection, but essentially it can uh, kind of intervene almost like a way slowdown in your lifestyle and health and sort of uh, talk to you back and forth to see uh, what's slowing and how we could get you unblocked and, and what could be um, recommended to you. I know that there was an aspect of your, your question that was around like the predictive um, analytics capability, and, and I could speak more to that. But um, I would say that um, what's changing is just trying to have a more embedded and cross-discipline view where the data and the capabilities and the approach are part of the the delivery team, including the data science and uh, the basis and uh, the ability to like test and learn and the metrics are really um, being designed in. And that's different than thinking that there is a, a, a software delivery team and then somewhere else is like a reporting team, for example. And so I would say that it's this new, like, embedded approach that's cross-discipline that's shared within our R&D team spanning a product and engineering that is really an evolution of these, of our data direction, as well as our kind of data-driven acquisitions. Uh, kind of related to this, so just to kind of close out this topic, I think it's on our screen call, you said that you thought productizing data science is tough. What did you mean by that? Today, we have data science that helps us in multiple respects. It helps us for our metrics. It helps us with our, our research. I think that the thing that is challenging from an analytics perspective, when the end user is trying to kind of consume the data. Insights, yeah. Exactly. In terms of delivering insights is simply the topic that, to circle back, the topic that we're starting with, which is just like as a user, as a reader, especially a business reader, like how much can I intake and what do I need to make sense of it? And how much and how declarative can you be responsibly and appropriately to bring the meaning and the insights forward? And how much and there might be a line that's too much and that's this is what we have and then we need to talk it through. And then there's a service layer that becomes really important and a consultative layer. And often that does need to be a bundled with the most advanced kind of analytics and decision offerings. Bob, this has been really fun. Do you have any closing advice for data science analytics leaders or technical product management about making better data products that actually get used and are believed and trusted and hopefully help people make decisions? I mean, ultimately, that's what so much of this is about. Any closing thoughts you want to share? I think from this conversation, it really comes down to um, a period of zooming out. We need to say like, okay, who's going to use this? (laughs) What's their context? Uh, What are they trying to do? And what's the right level and layering uh, like of the information based on what we have available? And then can we imagine that end-to-end flow? Under what circumstances did they come here to look at it? Were they um, assisted by data expertise or was that self-service? Um, what did they need to do with it? How did they need to share it? What decisions were made? And do they have a basis then to also track whether they made the right decisions, the right calls, and, and see the, the impact? I said some simple kind of common sense things. I would say, um, and any of us, myself included, right, can have uh, like a discipline or domain, a barrier to um, imagining these things. 
we're like a tainted jury pool, all of us. <laughs> we already know too much. It's very hard to unknow that which we know and also unknow like our own expertise to then come back and take a fresh look at things. And there's no foolproof solve for that. You really can't subtract what you already know. That's really the benefit of like research or, or market feedback, quantum qualis, then to reveal to you that which you assumed or presumed was there and where there was something um, not fully factored in. So it's a missing context. Well, thanks. This has been great. Bob, where can people like learn more about your products that you work on and you? What's the best place to go? Check out uh, virginpulse.com. And we have um, a lot of information about our platform, our products, our services. And then, um, I mean, you can find me um, on LinkedIn. There are other Bob Goodmans, but I'm the only one at Virgin Pulse. So that could probably help you look me up. We'll put the link there so people don't have to guess, but absolutely. Yeah, this has been super fun. Thanks for coming in and talking to us about your work and, and your teams and, and all this. It's been great. Thanks so much, Brian. Great to chat with you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Experiencing Data with Brian O'Neill. If you did enjoy it, please consider sharing it with the hashtag Experiencing Data. To get future podcast updates or to subscribe to Brian's mailing list, where he shares his insights on designing valuable enterprise data products and applications, visit designingforanalytics.com slash podcast.